Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about why first impressions matter when it comes to your onboarding experience. Today, we have our guest, Peter Ord, joining us. Peter is the founder and CEO of a company called GuideCX, which is a leading provider of client onboarding and implementation tools for SaaS companies. With a focus on delivering value faster to clients, they offer advanced solutions that help project managers and client success teams invite, guide, and engage their customers. Peter's vision is to empower businesses to create a truly customer-centric onboarding experience that leaves a lasting impression, which is what we'll talk about today. So welcome, Peter. Super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, super, super big fan of the show as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's, uh, before we get into you know the, the, the impressions of, of uh, customer service and why that's important, um, tell us a little bit about your backstory. When and what inspired you to found your company, GuideCX, and you know, how big is your company today? If you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, they say the greatest products in the world are built off the founder's greatest frustrations. Um, and this was one of my biggest frustrations, uh, not being kept on the same page after I bought a product or service, uh, both on the delivery side and on the customer side. Uh, so at my previous company uh, that I was at, uh, you know, I, we delivered a product to the automotive space. It was a CRM platform, uh, something that we couldn't just turn on and have our customers use. We had an implementation process with you know, 100 checklist items that we had to run through uh, to get them uh, live. And uh, involved in that process were you know, the manufacturer, the website providers, the inventory management tools, you know, a lot of parties involved in the, in the, in the process to create a, a potential win-win between both of our organizations. And I, I get three uh, questions throughout the whole process every time we sold our product uh, from our customers. And uh, the first question was, they'd always wonder when they were going to get the good product or service they bought. Uh, you know, we live in a, a, a customer consumer world where Amazon tells us when our package is going to be at our front door. And, uh, and when it's late, we don't panic because we're told that it's going to be late. And so, um, unfortunately in my last uh, uh, job, you know, when we were late, we didn't know we were running late. And so we would be, you know, two weeks past what we originally planned and it wouldn't be our fault. Uh, because you know the website provider didn't send us what we needed, or maybe the you know, employee on the customer side didn't, you know, they missed a, a critical task that affected the you know, critical path. Um, but lo long story short, right? The, the modern day customer expectations are to know when they're going to get a good product or service. So that was the first uh, question that that I always couldn't answer thoughtfully. Uh, the second one was who's responsible for what. So kind of clearly identifying. Uh, how unrelated parties can, can work together. The first step is to you know, define uh, responsibilities uh, and uh, enable stakeholders on all sides of the equation to know you know what their teams need to do. Um, and in our last job, all that information was in a spider web of emails uh, going back and forth to stakeholders. And so, uh, and then the last question was kind of weird. Uh, that was, uh, what did I buy? <laughs> And, okay. and lots of times you have stakeholders making decisions to buy a product or a service. Like in our case, we had a dealership owner, uh, you know, seeing our product at a trade show. They got excited about it. They bought it. And then we'd get online with their customers, their, the customer side team. Uh, and 
nine times out of 10, that stakeholder wasn't on our welcome call. Uh, and then also nine times out of 10, the customer side team had never participated in the sales process. Therefore, they didn't know what we did. And so that kind of uh, cornered our project management team, our implementation team, and having to resell that product and service all over again throughout that implementation process. And so I went to look for a product that can solve those three questions, uh, answer those three questions for me, like when am I going to get the good product or service? Who's responsible for what? And, and what did I buy? And I, I couldn't really find anything. Like I, um, we tried using you know some generic project management tools. Uh, collaboration kind of seemed to be an afterthought in those tools. Um, it, it also, you know, it, when we use those tools, it put a different brand in front of our customers. They didn't know what Kanban boards were. Uh, the UI wasn't built for a first-time user. So ultimately, that pain got significant enough to, where I decided to jump ship in 2017 and, and start this. Awesome. So, so it sounds like the first one is really about, you know, communication, what I heard is communication, responsibility, and then, you know, what did I get from my purchase here? So I like how you, you know, this seems like intuitive that this is kind of obvious that this is how a company should operate. I mean, this is a service they provide and how they should live, but then you went and looked for a product that would solve that. So, you know, people don't miss that in their experience. Right. And it's kind of built into it. If that's what I'm understanding. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of compared what happened in the B two C world. Like, we, yeah. like I order a pizza on Domino's. Yeah. I know when to leave my house uh, to get a warm pizza because they notify me when it comes out of the oven. Uh, Delta notifies me when my bags uh, board a plane. So when I check in late to a flight, I don't have this anxiety throughout the whole flight experience on whether or not my bad bag really made it. Uh, I, I think the best companies in the world do things so customers don't have to call them for simple information. And uh, you know, then you move to the B2B space. Uh, if you have a product or service that requires an implementation where there's change management that occurs, uh, lots of times you're at the mercy of uh, a project manager to keep you on the same page. And we all know project managers are just slammed. Um, and uh, and you know, if communication falters, then trust starts to disappear, and then that affects the anxiety of your customers that ultimately you know, increases and and then you find yourself kind of losing the renewal uh, in the first 30 days of that customer experiment. So it's, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think the modern day expectations of a customer have changed substantially in the last 10 years where it's no longer okay just to send them a sad status email once a week. Uh, people want to know exactly what's happening in a process, how that affects the delivery date, uh, if their people are you know, fulfilling their side of the the, the, the responsibility um, so that they can help. Like at the end of the day, people just want to help. Um, and, and that's our mission, right? We help people work better together. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So you started in 2017. Uh, so now, you know, almost five, six years into it. How big is your company today? You know, and then have you guys raised any external capital? Are you guys fully bootstrapped? Yeah, so we're kind of low eight figures ARR mark. Uh, we have about a hundred employees. Uh, we've raised uh, about forty million. Uh, we're you know our last round of funding was Series B uh, with Meritech Capital. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so kind of going to the next steps of understanding when it comes to the first steps. Let's let's go start very basics. What are kind of the first steps of you know customer experience? And if I'm a SaaS company. Um, why is this so important to me to make sure, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this, but we want to improve our efficiency. We want to improve the experience. How, how do we kind of take those first steps? Yeah. So, so 
I, well, I call ourselves a great technology company, but I really think we're a better consulting company. Um, we aren't a pro-serve company. 100% of our revenue is uh, SaaS, but we, we really do... like Of the 100 employees that we have in our company, I think it's safe to say that the majority of those employees have experienced the problem that we're solving, right? The, the, the anxiety that's created when you're sold a product or service, even outside of SaaS. Like if you... Um, you know, buy a home and go through that the, that that process of of getting funded on a loan. Uh, you know, there there are times where you don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, it's, it, you don't know that the appraiser needs to go to the house to appraise the home, uh, and you might be blaming the broker uh, that you're dealing with. And so, just not having visibility and how you know the pieces of the puzzle fit together is a big frustration uh, that a lot of our employees have had. And so. We we get on the phone with with our new customers and we guide them through you know these best practices over you know we have over five hundred thousand projects that have run through our tool uh, since inception and there there's some you know commonalities of of how to productize your implementation experience. Um, I'll, I'll give you one example of how you can create a ton of efficiency. Uh, lots of times companies uh, will you know roll onto our tool and. Uh, we kind of force a conversation to help them understand what personas are required on the customer side to be successful. So like if you're delivering a product or service and you require like four skill sets on the customer side, lots of times uh, companies, the providing companies will leave it up to the customer side to kind of define uh, or figure out like who they need to involve on their side. Uh, where with Guide CX, right? You, you, you can do this manually, but technology ultimately creates efficiency behind good manual processes. Um, Guide CX kind of forces that conversation and helps the customer side of the, the fence understand, all right, these are the four personas we need, right? We need you know, someone who can model data, someone who can, uh, you know, who has access to maybe your DNS settings and your website, uh, someone who can, uh, uh, you know, you, you know you go down the whole gamut, right? But ultimately, you're defining these personas, and then you hold the stakeholder on the customer side accountable to inviting those specific individuals on the customer side uh, to that project experience. And you know, and then GuideCX has deliverables that are auto assigned to that persona uh, based on you know uh, how our customers build that template process in GuideCX. So. Uh, and then there's some there's tons of cool things you can do after the fact. You can identify like what is my engagement by persona, um, you know how uh, what percentage of the time do, do, do I assign this task to my customer? Is it overdue across 400 projects? Like you can start to define, you know, bottlenecks and accelerators in your process, and that ultimately increases your time to value and increases efficiency. And um, you know, we do that with you know making data actionable at the end of the day. So that's an interesting one. I never heard that, you know, engagement per, by persona. What are you guys tracking there? We can go, we'll go deeper into kind of some, you know, setting KPIs and understanding the data a little bit more, but maybe just on that one there, can you talk a little bit more? How, what is engagement you're looking for? You know, how fast are they, you know, on top of it and responding? Um, how active are they? Or how, how do you kind of look at that? Yeah, so so we have a white labeled customer portal that unrelated parties can access to see kind of what's happening in, a, in an experience. Um, one example would be you have a stakeholder, right? The decision maker, the person that's going to ultimately decide whether or not you get paid. Um, in a in an environment without a client onboarding tool, uh, that person oftentimes gets forgotten. It's happened to me. Like I, I we've bought probably thirty technology solutions here at GuideCX over the last five years, and uh, we're going through one right now where. Uh, 
uh, I just got an invoice for a product that we uh, we purchased. Uh, I then had to call two, maybe three different people on my team to figure out, hey, are we getting value out of this product? Um, and like, should we pay this? Uh, and you know, one person didn't really know the answer because they were kind of just kind of on the peripheral. Another person said, no, we, we're not live yet. I'm like, well, when will we be live? I don't know. You know, these are the items that need to happen. And so th- then like all of a sudden I start thinking, well, like I was sold uh, the Ritz Carlton experience and now I'm being delivered a Motel 6 experience. Like mm-hmm. I, and, and then I'm being paid, asked to pay top dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pay our bills. Uh, but at the end of the day, like to your question, uh, the persona, like tracking the engagement from the stakeholder, um, things that you can do is hey, how many times did they view the, 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 the onboarding like that? I call it the pizza tracker, like a B2B pizza tracker. How many times do they go in and see, uh, you know, what's happening in the experience experience? Do they open the emails that are sent to them? Um, and our customers can decide how often those emails are sent to stakeholders. But ultimately, like those emails thoughtfully help them understand whether their team is or is not doing the things we need them to do. So if they have overdue tasks, right, the stakeholder is going to be notified. And that then creates a ton of intrinsic accountability because mm-hmm. now like it just takes one call from the stakeholder to their uh, the, their employee to say, hey, like we bought this product or service. I you know, approved the budget, uh, but you're not engaging with them. And now that they know the stakeholder sees that, uh, there's lots of accountability. And that even extends to partners, right? Like uh, third parties that are involved in implementation experience. Uh, at my last company, a big challenge was we'd often, like us providing a service to a car dealer, the, 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 we would need the website provider to do X, Y, and Z. They didn't do it. That then extended out the launch date. The dealer would then blame us because the website provider blamed us. And so we would have no thoughtful way to tell the dealer that, no, the website provider is, is the bad guy in this equation. Um, and so like we, I call it the scoreboard view, right? Like it just shows who did what, when they did it, and uh, whether or not they did it on time. Uh, that, that's ultimately the data that if you can engage the stakeholder on that level and help them get access to that information easily without ever having to log into a solution, maybe they just want it in their email, right? Through like an email digest of mm-hmm. what happened uh, in, a, in a given time frame. That, that just, that, that accelerates uh, the, 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 the project experience. So like it creates a ton of intensity around the experience because everyone knows that like, okay, wow, like everyone else has, sees what part I'm playing. Um, right. It's just very objective at that point. Right? It's just visibility. This is, you know, you, you agreed to this. I agree to this. What's going on, right? There's, there's no like hard conversation. Like we've, we listed this out together. Um, let's just get this done, right? So then everybody's yeah. kind of focused on the same, on a single vision. Um, so when it comes to, you know, setting up those those KPIs, right? From a SaaS company, I'm, I'm building this out for my customer success team. What are some of the most important Metrics, goals, KPIs that I want to look you know, while building and maintaining my company. What what am I looking at to, as important as important ones? Yeah, I, I think uh, like there's two metrics that will always tell you whether or not um, you're doing well, right? I, I think if you onboard a customer quickly, uh, efficiently, and get them value to value fast, uh, they're going to expand more, right? They're, they're going to you know 
they're going to be more prepared to use your solution and be a rock star user. And they're going to be engaging you to expand their use case um, sooner. Uh, they're also, if you don't do that well, they're going to churn faster or you're going to see indications of churn. And so I think the two metrics that, that you'll see this impact the most are like net revenue retention uh, as it correlates to how fast you can expand your customers and gross retention, right? You're winning that renewal in the first 30 days of the customer experience. Uh, so having, having a, a, you know, first impressions matter. Having a great first impression is going to not only affect the long-term trajectory of the customer, but it's going to affect how the renewal happens. I think, you know, today more than any other day, you're getting on the phone with these customers that are renewing and, uh, and if they didn't have a great experience, let's say they don't churn, but they're they're asking for discounts. If they don't think you're worth your value, right. they're saying, "Hey, listen, like we, we had a tough first year, we didn't get the value fast enough. Like, can I get you know thirty percent off uh, your fee? If I can't do that, I'm leaving." Um, and so, even if it doesn't show up in you know like churn, it's going to show up in net revenue retention as it correlates to them not renewing for the full contract amount or even greater than that full contract amount. Yeah, those are super important metrics. Even us at you know, Horizon Capital or you know, any investor, as you know, I mean, net revenue retention, churn, I mean, this is thing that you have to be paying attention to. And I think people, you know, maybe always, from my understanding, you know, the customer experience is probably under, underestimate, people underestimate the power of what it has on how much impact it can have to drive that number up. So I'm assuming you guys have that, you know, if you guys are at eight figures, you know, have already raised a Series B, um, you know, you guys probably have that locked down. I'm assuming you're using your, you know, eating your own dog food, so to speak. So I'm assuming your customer experience is great and your numbers reflect that. Um, yeah, we, we're perfect. We have no problems. Yeah, perfect. I mean, you guys <laughs> just keep perfecting it by the no, day. I, I, every company has challenges. I I do. I, my favorite metric to manage the business is net revenue retention because I think mm -hmm. it's the biggest indicator of product market fit. Right. Um, and uh, and so that's something we we focus a lot on. Yeah. So when it comes to some of the, maybe can you speak a little bit, some of the latest customer experience trends that are happening or technologies to keep to keep an eye on and, and you know, going into, you know, this year, 2023, either on, you know, on the investment side, or if somebody's looking to, maybe who's listening in, looking to invest in a new startup or found a new startup in this space, is there things you see opportunities in? Um, because this is changing rapidly. I think like what, what, what people expected for customer experience, you know, five years ago in SaaS is totally different than it is today, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many ways to make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. there, I mean, ultimately it comes from the, the, my journey, right? You, you identify a problem. Uh, you, uh, you make sure that a lot of people are experiencing that same problem and you build a product to solve it. And, uh, and then you just iterate on that experience. Um, moving back a step, I, I, I'm really passionate, obviously, about uh, the customer experience side of technology. I think in a world where there's so many products being built, uh, you know, technology and services are becoming more and more commoditized. And so the customer experience becomes your primary differentiator. Uh, and, and that's, that's what sets you aside from, from the pack. One of the quotes we have up in our office uh, that we've had up since the start is the quote from Frederick Wallace, who's the founder of FedEx. And he he says the information about about the package is more important as about the than the package itself, um, hmm. and and if you think about it, like I kind of I, I pause there, but it said the information about the package is more important than the package itself. Uh, like that FedEx was 
competing with the United States Postal Service, uh, who arguably had like an unlimited uh, bank account, right? And uh, and the only way FedEx could compete with uh, USPS back in the day was, you know, being more transparent about the package, right? And uh, helping them understand where the package was in the journey and when they were going to get that uh, package. And, and that's why people spent more money with FedEx than they did with USPS. And I think that same analogy can can play out in the technology space. Like people, I mean, it happened. So kind of quick story. My brother, uh, this was like a euphoric moment for me. Uh, he lives in Texas, uh, works for a company. He says, hey, I just hired this uh, individual who's uh, going to be in charge of our digital marketing. He told me he wanted to buy this product and service that he implemented at his last company. And uh, and I asked him, well, tell me about the product service. He goes, well, I actually didn't use it that long. I know what they do, but I they treated me incredible during the implementation experience. And uh, my brother's like, ah, tell me more about that. Like what, what, what happened? He goes, well, they use this product called Guide CX. <laughs> and my brother's like, well, like my brother started that company. And uh, wow. And uh, and he goes, but ultimately that's why he wanted to buy that product that his new company that he just joined, which was you know my brother's company, and uh, that that's like so the the, the loyalty was won uh, within like two months. Uh, he right. hadn't used this product for a long time, and he brought that product into his next company. And so I uh, I think the customer experience uh, world, uh, any product or service that kind of comes into this space and optimizes communication, uh, which ultimately optimizes engagement, which ultimately increases the trust uh, of your customer and reduces the anxiety of your customers. I mean, those are the customers that are going to be evangelical about your product. Uh, so uh, I think there's a lot of products that are, are doing that across a variety of different industries. Yeah, there's tons. I mean, I see, I, mean, I don't know if it's just me in my head that I see these uh, opportunities everywhere I go. But I mean, if you look at, you know, like you mentioned FedEx and USPS, but I also look at, for example, Amazon, right? So, you know, the boxes in themselves, right? We always get like brown basic boxes that appear in our door. But I mean, hey, there's birthday gifts. There's all these other things where people want, you know, maybe, you know, like I think of my daughter, if I send her a gift, like I want her a nice, you know, the the, the box itself, you know, she gets more excited if the box is all colorful and, and something, yeah. right? So if, if there was a way to customize that, I mean, there's big opportunity there. I mean, Amazon just needs to like, have custom boxes. And I think there's billions <laughs> of get there. Right I'm confident of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If anybody listening in, I think that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> so, so, so Brian, Brian Chesky, I think it was, I heard on a podcast, uh, the founder of Airbnb, you know, talks about like the four-star experience, the five-star experience, the six-star. Then he kind of, you know, tries to describe in your mind different levels of experiences. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, can you share kind of some of your steps that you attributed to some of the early successes of how you came up with the, you know, Guide CX and how you implemented some of those, you know, higher end, you know, customer experiences into your uh, you know, building of your product? Yeah. Um, so I, I think we we eat our own dog food or drink our own champagne. You said it earlier. Um, and we're obviously trying to do the same thing our customers are doing with our own product. And, and that involves uh, iterating on your onboarding experience. Um, people say like a custom onboarding experience creates, creates a customer for life. Uh, and so what, while you want to productize your onboarding experience, you want to create moments within that experience to help customers feel like, well, this is for me. Uh, th th this, uh, Although it might be a repetitive experience, I know this company is guiding me through over and over. Uh, uh, there needs to be moments where the customer feels like we're really catering to their needs, their goals, their aspirations. Like customers buy product with a dream in mind. 
And the implementation is should be all about making that dream come true. Uh, and and that can't happen if you don't know what 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 version of the dream they they have they had envisioned. So um, through using our product, we're able to identify like well, how do we go from a ninety day implementation experience to a fourteen day, and that's what we've done, right? We, mm-hmm. We've taken our ninety day process and now our average uh, duration to launch customers is fourteen days, uh, and you can only do that through analyzing. Kind of, hey, what were your roadblocks throughout this experience? We're on probably our like 60th version of our uh, of our onboarding experience. Uh, uh, you know, what integrations can we optimize uh, to help the customer feel more at home with us? So, for instance, one of the integrations we have in place, we use a product called Intercom mm-hmm. to handle incoming chats, uh, support chats on our on our product. Uh, a big challenge we had early on was like customers would start using our product; they were still in the onboarding experience. Uh, but they chat in a question and then the onboarding manager would, would have no idea that they were working with support. Um, well, now through, we have an embedded iPass solution or that we call it a recipe builder. Uh, now we create a connection that says anytime an intercom chat comes in with a customer that's an active onboarding project, notify through the project, through the work notes that hey, your customers just chatted in and this, is, this, was the, um, this was the communication that happened. Uh, and that helps us have that kind of world-class experience of the onboarding manager saying, hey, I just noticed you chatted into our product a couple hours ago. Did you get all your questions answered? Um, and when, when you do that, people know you care. Mm. Uh, they, they know that, like, like I know Delta cares about me uh, because they notified me when my bag was on the plane. And I think about all the calls they probably got through their support center about customers that were worried about their bags not making it because they may, might have a might have had a tight connection or they checked in late. Um, and so Delta shows their customers they care by automating a transparent process to help you know uh, their consumers know that, hey, there's no need to worry. We're going to let you know that you know, your bag got in the plane. Off. So it sounds like you have to be a little bit more proactive and trying to understand what are potential areas where you know this person could start worrying or stress or have any block right i think when i when i buy something i don't want to have to think or have to worry about it. it's like hey, I'm, I'm giving you money so i don't have to worry if i wanted yeah. to worry i would do it myself right and but now i'm paying you so i don't have to think and i don't need to worry i just want this to be a pleasant experience and i get to my end result but i think as on the other side it's more of like okay what are things that could go wrong and then you know, being proactive in them so that hey, as long as we communicate it, like like you said, right? It's like it's not about being late. It's just you know communicating it and letting the people know, like, hey, we're going to be late on this project, and people are usually pretty understanding as long as you let them know ahead of time, right? Yeah, and then that becomes part of your brand. Like you, you're going to mm-hmm. show, like the Amazon package tracker is part of Amazon's brand. Like uh, a lot of our customers, they showcase. Uh, we white label our product to our customers' brand, but there's some discrete Guide CX branding. But they show the Guide CX. Uh, work plan of like, hey, this is how we treat you after you buy our product. This is the post-sales experience. Um, if there's a challenge, like this is how we handle it. Uh, and so, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, last question before we get into the personal rapid fire questions, Peter. Um, what any practical, last kind of practical advice you'd give to entrepreneurs who are maybe looking to scale their SaaS startup? I mean, you, you're pretty far ahead in your journey, any advice you'd give to some, you know, earlier stage founders? Yeah, I, I guess uh, just two words come to mind. Um, 
and my my father gave me this uh, advice all throughout life. Uh, he's a good 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 father. Uh, perseverance and perspective. Um, I, I think from a perspective uh, standpoint, like it's never as bad as it seems. It's never. It's also never as good as it seems. Um, you know, having gone through in my experience, like we we dealt with a trademark infringement, like in our first year. Um, we then had the pandemic. Uh, then we had the recession, and then we had inflation. Then we just had a bank run. Like <laughs> there are, it's, it's going to uh, keep coming, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it. That's life. Like that's, that's the life. market. Like you're never going to have a perfect market to deal with, and so it's important to have good perspective. Um, from a perseverance standpoint, like I I love the quote from Woody Allen, uh, which is eighty percent of life is showing up. And so show up, like if you don't show up, like you're going to rob yourself of a learning experience. Uh, and so I, I think, uh, you know, our, uh, our version of showing up is like, we don't, we, I mean, we, de- we deliver products without bugs, uh, to, 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 uh, you know, that, that's a core goal of ours, but, uh, we, we try not to let perfection paralyze us. Like a product doesn't have to be fully baked. Um, in order to get it out in the wild. Uh, the sooner we get it out in the wild, the sooner we're going to get uh, feedback. And then that means we're going to build a feature or function in our product that's more specific to the needs of our customer. And so we can't be arrogant enough to think that we know exactly what our customers want. And so our version of showing up is, hey, let, let, let's get things in their hands as soon as possible uh, so we can iterate and, um, and help them help them get, get value that much faster. Was that kind of your core kind of initial when you first launched the business? Was it, you know, let's just get this out there as quickly as possible? Or did you have any kind of, you know, growth strategies that maybe you can share quickly? There? Yeah. I, so there's three books I read that kind of affected my thought process on how to start this. Uh, one is called The Mom Test. Um, that's like, don't ask your mom for feedback. She'll mm-hmm. always lie to you if she's anything <laughs> like my mom. <laughs> she'll, she'll say you're amazing no matter what you uh, too, you're yeah. you're acting like in a moment. Um, yeah. uh, the other is the user method. That's like the Henry Ford example. Like the, that's the opposite of what you just said. Like it's hey, rely on your own intuition. Build the automobile, right? Don't build the the chariot that can handle more horses. Um, and then the last one is the most popular one: lean startup. Mm. Uh, that's you know like hey, build what will fly. Uh, don't don't try to build a rocket ship. So triangulating the theories of all three of those those books that, that's that's kind of how I based my methodology uh, with leaning more towards getting things in the wild faster. Uh, I bootstrapped for the first eighteen months. Um, I think a lot of that was more due to due to ignorance than strategy. Uh, just mm. me being uh, a little stubborn, thinking that like, hey, let me get to a million of ARR first before I take external funds. And um, if I were to do it over again, I would have taken a lot of money a lot sooner, knowing how great. You know our investors are and 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 our partners are, but uh, but yeah, like that that in the early stages, right? Since it was my own money, um, I, it forced me to be really picky about what we put in the product early on, and uh, and it also like I I, I think ultimately it ended up being good because money didn't cloud judgment. Like sometimes when you get too much money, like you end up making decisions just because you can, uh, That's right. and uh, when you have limited funds, you have to kind of be super scientific about what you what your decisions are. Yeah, yeah, working within the the constraints itself. Yeah, awesome, Peter. Uh, ready for the the rapid fire questions? Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, what's uh, one activity you enjoy outside of work uh, that gets you into flow state? Um, I love hiking. Um, 
specifically summiting mountains. I, I'm not one that will ever summit Everest. I think that's nuts. <laughs> but uh, but here living in Utah, we we have a lot of cool peaks um, that we've hiked. We have kind of a little group in our company that you know has a goal to summit a peak once a year. Um, and so we did King's Peak last year. That's a 14,000 foot peak. Uh, but yeah, getting out in nature, like that, that clears my lens. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I figured you say that being in Salt Lake. I mean, they can't, you can't live there and not enjoy that. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's what's uh, what's one piece of advice? I, I know you shared advice kind of going back to your early stages of a SaaS company, but maybe before that, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known if you can go back to say your 20 or 25 year old self? Um, yeah, everything will be all right. Um, I, uh, I have four girls um, and uh, so I'm a girl dad. And, and that's one thing I try to, you know, help them understand no matter what happens in their life, like it all works out in the end. Um, and uh, having that optimistic attitude, I, I think optimism unlocks human potential. Uh, it helps you be more open-minded and more receptive to ideas. And and so, uh, you know, early on when you're 20, you feel like the whole world's in front of you and you know, it's a huge weight on your shoulder. And um, I, uh, I think it, everything will be all right in the end. Love it. Uh, Peter, what are some of the biggest challenges you guys are currently facing in order to continue to grow and scale GuideCX today? Meaning, what's keeping you up at night these days? Yeah, uh, impatience. <laughs> we're, we're creating a category which requires more patience than sometimes I have. Um, and, and that means that, that you know, our product, like if my product would have existed at my last company, I would have bought it. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't a client onboarding category. The, the, you know, you had... Uh, you know, specific verticalized solutions for SDRs, for CSMs, for accounting departments. But then when you looked at the implementation manager's role, like they were relegated to generic project management. And so like getting megaphones outside of our office, letting the whole world know that products like ours exist, uh, that's what keeps me up at night because we, we, we don't get on the phone with customers and, uh, and share our you know, value prop. And we never hear... I. 100% disagree with that, that, that communication and transparency will help customer experiences. Like it's, everyone agrees with the premise and everyone seems to have a, you know, a version of this problem that we're solving. And so, uh, but the market has to catch up. Like we, we, um, you know, more, more competitors have to come into our space. Uh, more funds have to be raised in this space that creates more awareness. And I think we're like, we're just bubbling up, right? Client onboarding spaces. It's happening, but uh, it'll never happen fast enough for me. So that, that's that's. All right. yeah, so that's you're basically you're saying, "Hurry up, market! So we're waiting. We're ready to go." We're ready yeah, to go. And, that, and that requires like discipline on our side, right? It requires us to have it like sing in tune as a choir, like have a good message to the market, yeah. um, and know what the market wants to hear. So we probably have a lot of work to do on that side as well. <laughs> cool, um, Peter. Who are uh, what are some of the best three resources? I know you mentioned three books already, but maybe people mentors or people you follow in, the follow in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Yeah, I so I, I love podcasts. Um, Guy Raz uh, on NPR, like he, he he's super inspiring. I, more so the founders that come onto that show. Uh, mm -hmm. Give me a ton of courage to not be afraid to fail. Um, and then I'd, I'd also say our investors, uh, those that back us. Uh, I You know, Diogo Mira, Rob Rucker, was a Diogo with Album Rob at, at Sorensen, Paul Madeira at Meritech. 
Um, and then, you know, we have you know, other board members as well, Greg Reynolds and Jonathan Ward, uh, my brother, founder of our previous company. Uh, it's just like when, when you have uh, Kristen Habach, former Trello exec, uh, now on our tool, uh, on our board, like when you have a board that's so supportive and, and uh, you know, interested in, in not only just the business, but like your well-being, that mm-hmm. matters and it, it enables you to be more aggressive and not be consumed around what other people think of you, uh, knowing that there's, there's a high level of confidence that, that they have of you. So that, yeah. 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 They become your support system and keep you, keep you going. That's awesome. Uh, Peter, what does uh, success mean to you today? Whether personally, business, financial life, I guess it's no right answer. Uh, yeah, I think there comes a point in everyone's career where success be- stops becoming the primary motivator and uh, and being significant matters more. And that's that's very much the camp I I come in. Like we, I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a part of a previous company that was phenomenally successful, got acquired, um, got to do a lot of cool things in that company, um, and uh, it set me up to you know take a huge risk starting another company like this. Uh, but you know, I I my motivation is to to be more significant, change the way people work uh, together, help uh, not only our customers be uh, better at their jobs, but uh, be a good steward of of our employees uh, and kind of how they learn. And you know, I, I was part of an organization where I was the twentieth employee, and then when I left, there was over two thousand employees. And I think of the growth that I had, like that's something I just want to duplicate because uh, is you know that, that that shaped who I was. In a lot of cases, and and that to me is being significant. Great, love it. Well, thank you, Peter. This has been a this has been a great show. I appreciate all the the nuggets you've been sharing. I think you know our members and, and audience are going to get a lot of uh, value from it. Um, but you know, for founders or you know anyone listening in, where is the best way to get in touch with you, learn more about you, or if they want to learn more about your company, try it out. Uh, yeah, I'm active on social media. I, I'm also always looking at my email, uh, Peter at guidecx.com. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is Peter Ord. Uh, Twitter is built Ord Tough. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me in any medium. Okay, awesome. We'll add those, uh, sh- uh, those links to the show notes. So make sure you guys check, check it out and make sure to say hi to Peter. All right, thank cool. you so much, Peter. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is awesome. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.